Welcome to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. It is that time of the year when you got to pay your taxes, and that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. Todd Amen with ATBS heads up a firm that processes thousands of tax returns for independent owner-operators. He is a perfect view of what they made in 2021. We had him on here last year. I heard him at the Mid-America Truck uh, Show a few weeks ago in Louisville, and he's going to be with us in just a few minutes. I'm recording this a little further away from when it drops. That's a term in podcast parlance because I am headed out to the Transportation Intermediaries Association annual meeting in San Diego. That is the broker's annual meeting, and I'm looking forward to it. So I got to record this a little early. So by the time this is heard, who knows what might be going on with diesel prices. But regardless, the events of just the past few days as I record this give a very good topic to discuss here, and that's the relationship between jet fuel prices and diesel prices. Jet fuel prices in the spot market have gone absolutely berserk. There is no futures market for jet, but physical jet is traded among commodity traders in the -the over-the-counter market. It is generally, I shouldn't say generally, really, it is always traded as a differential to the ultra-low sulfur diesel price on the CME Commodity Exchange. So if I wanted to sell you jet fuel in New York Harbor, I would offer a pipeline or barge quantity of it at a price that would be based on the ULSD price plus a differential. That differential could be 10 to 15 cents. It could be lower. It could be higher. But ultimately, jet fuel is a distillate like diesel. That's why it is priced in the open market as a differential to the CME price for ultra-low sulfur diesel, ULSD. And if the price of jet gets too high, it will start dragging the price of diesel up with it. Why? Because in a situation like that, refiners would start switching their distillate production away from diesel and toward jet. That would tighten up the market for diesel. So ultimately, the price of diesel, the price of jet shouldn't get too far away from that of diesel. Well, that was the case up until this week. On Monday, S&P Global Commodity Insights, which houses the old Platts business, assessed the New York jet market at a price equivalent to about $7.60 per gallon. That's not retail. That's a spot market price. And you thought the price of diesel was high. That jet price came out to about $318 per barrel. Keep in mind that the price of crude right now is hanging in there at the $100 to $100.05 level, as I'm saying this. The differential to the CME diesel price exceeded $3 per gallon. Remember, the normal differential is usually measured in cents, not in dollars. Why is this going on? When the Russian-Ukraine war began, there was concern about oil in general, but among traders, there was a lot of concern about diesel. Russia is a major supplier of diesel, and with companies refusing to do business with Russian suppliers, and in some case, formal government government sanctions being put in place, diesel prices advanced far more than those of other oil products. Platts, in a recent article, reviewed just how crazy the jet market is. Here are some of the things they wrote. On March 8th, before the invasion of Ukraine, but as the drums of war were being heard, diesel in the Gulf Coast was almost 39 cents more than jet. Even that is a crazy number. In 2021, the average was about 16 cents. As Platts reported, by the end of March, U.S. refineries were reacting to that incentive. They were making approximately three and a half times as much ULSD as jet fuel, and the result was a four-month low level of jet fuel production. You can imagine what happened next. It set the stage for the jet market to surge higher than the rest of the market because so little of it was being made. Add to that the cutoff of Russian supplies, and you had this jet explosion. Well, in price, it didn't literally explode, though it can. 
where this is bad for diesel consumers is that the same incentive that made refiners turn to making lots of diesel and less jet has now been flipped on its back. Now the incentive for refiners is to make lots of jet fuel, which means less diesel. Both those products come out of the distillate pool. And while refiners would like to make as many distillates as possible, at a certain point, there are physical limitations in the refinery. So the limitations on just how much distillate you can make then combines with the incentive to produce as much of that distillate as you can in the form of jet fuel, and that means less diesel. I don't know that you're going to get the kind of craziness in diesel that you did in jet with the spot market trading over $7 per gallon, but this all serves as a reminder that during this whole Russian invasion of Ukraine and all the impact that's had on the oil market, we're going to have to go through a lot of cycles of short-term booms and busts before some sort of equilibrium is established. So hang on for the ride. We're going to move on here on Drilling Deep, and I'm going to go ahead and call this an annual event. Todd Amen comes on Drilling Deep each year to talk about how much independent owner-operators made in the prior year. And we always do this as we're getting toward April 15th, which is, of course, tax day. Todd has already been out and about making presentations about what his data is showing on the performance of independent owner-operators last year. I saw him at the Mid-American Truck Show a few weeks ago in Louisville. Todd is the president and founder of ATBS, which has thousands of independent owner-operators as clients. It gives him a huge amount of data on what drivers did last year, and he's here to sh- he's here to share it with us as he did last year and as he did the year before. So, Todd, welcome. Hey, John, it's great to be back with you. I love speaking to your audience, and uh, it's always fun to share the information and see how folks did last year. Although things are changing quick, so who knows if last year brings what this year will bring. Yeah, you might have some very different numbers uh, next when we do this twelve months from now. But so let's go right to the bottom line. What was the average? income for the independent, the average independent owner-operator in 2021? So our average owner-operator in 2021 did $71,200 in net income. So that's revenue, less expenses before tax. So $71,200. And the good news is, you know, that's up pretty significantly from the prior year. It was around $67,000 the prior year. The one thing I'll say is it's a little funny because um, we honestly, as we looked halfway through the year, we thought that number might break $80,000. And what we really found as we went through the year is, you know, drivers were making really good money more than they'd ever made. And so to be honest, they actually, you know, stopped working and taking time off and driving less and get more picky on their loads. Uh, so it's a great number. We just thought it was going to be even higher. Yeah. This was always interesting to me. I mean, we, I think we spoke about this last year and I remember being on a, uh, listening to a presentation by the management at Heartland sometime in the next, in the last 12 months. And they were saying the same thing, that they found that some drivers had made so much that they were ready to maybe not quit for the year, but certainly ramp down. And, you know, when you, when you take economics in college, they always talk about the trade-off between, you know, wages and labor. And if you're a wage slave and you got to go to your company's job every day, you don't really have that trade-off. <laughs> you, you go to work and you do what you're supposed to do. I mean, what's, what's great about your data is that this is a classic trade-off between uh, wage and earning wa- wages and, and labor. And I mean, you clear you definitely saw company uh, drivers making that trade-off. Right? Were you were surprised at the amount of it. Yeah, I guess you know we talk in averages, and so that's what our average out of twenty thousand drivers did. But it's interesting because the driver that was aggressive, that wanted to work hard, that wanted to make more. I mean, our our top. You know, third last year made 168,000. So 
you know, we had drivers making 250,000 net. So the average didn't move up a lot, which I guess says that's what the average is. It's all of them together. It, it really was a year where you could do whatever you wanted. If you were making more money, you could take time off, be with your family, drive less, live a better life. Um, but if you wanted to go out and make a bunch of money and maybe buy a second or third truck or, you know, grow your business or put money in the bank, you could do that too. So yeah, I, I don't know. I always feel like I'm driven. So when the market's hot, I work more. I'm on an airplane every week, but we find that drivers, company drivers and owner operators, you know, they're different. They work less when they make more. You wonder how many of those drivers that may have dialed back sometime during 2021 are looking at the fallen rates now, are looking at all the speculation about a much slower freight market, and they're thinking, I probably should have driven more. Yeah, you know, I think hindsight, always we say is 2020. Um and yeah, it's going to happen. Like right now, I'll guarantee miles are picking up. Uh, people have got to work more to make as much money as, as they need. So it's happening. We're going to start seeing more, more miles driven. Now, there were, uh, you know, this number I'm pulling from one of the presentations that one of your colleagues did at Matt's, and there were 110,000 more authorities or new authorities uh, handed out by FMCSA last year. How much of an impact do you think it has on the price, on, the, on that average? Did it really hold it down more? Could it have been higher with fewer authorities? It's such a good question, John, that, gosh, I think we're all trying to figure out the industry right now on what is going on with supply and demand. So, you know, where did those guys come from and gals? Were those new authorities, new entrants that had never driven a truck? Were they company drivers going out and getting a truck? Were they drivers that drove for a fleet that are going out and doing it on their own? You know, it's a mixture of all of those. And at the end of the day, I just think, the spot market was so lucrative that many drivers just couldn't say no. They went out and got their own authority. So, you know, was it a shifting of balance from uh, my, my opinion, just watching the market and understanding supply and demand, we didn't add tremendously more capacity. So I think it was just a shift of capacity, um, more of those folks getting their own authority and doing their own thing. Yeah, you really couldn't add a lot more capacity, not with the, not with the backlog at the OEMs of getting new trucks. Yeah, and no used trucks in the market either, right? And the ones that were were ridiculously priced. And and so, yeah, really, at the end of the day, it had to have been a shift in market, not, you know, brand new, bunch of new capacity. Right, let's talk about that top third that you mentioned. Um, what, can you give a kind of a profile of them? Uh, what what drives them? Uh, are they doing drive-in? Or is, are there a lot of specialty things in there as well? Uh, what, what do you find about them? You know, again, it can be across the board if you're in a good niche in any of your markets. But a lot of times you'll find those being the expediters. They might be some flatbedders, some double, double drop deck kind of drivers like that. It might be team drivers. Um, you know, just your straight up driving in. Uh, you know, that's a, someone that's going to make seventy to $75,000 a year. So you got to get into a pretty specific niche. You got to work harder. Um, maybe some hazardous material, stuff like that. Right. And what about you? Like kind of your top ten percent? What kind of numbers are they put post? Guys, we're seeing the top ten percent. You know, two hundred grand plus. It's amazing the kind of money that great drivers and great niches of the industry. When you hear stories like you know, which which we heard just a couple of months ago. I mean, there are people that couldn't get freight moved. Shippers that were breaking straight dry van loads into three expedite loads. You know, so they're paying four times as much to get a truckload moved. And things like that are going on if you're really good at being in the right place at the right time. And, um, yeah, you can make a ton of money last year. It was amazing. 
I'm, I'm going to ask you to expand on that because I don't think I fully understand how you break a truckload load into three expedited load. And, and what, what, what defines an expedited load in a situation like that? So you got someone that's got a, a van box truck, you know, that typically charges a lot more money because they're moving small shipments, LTL type shipments that need to move really quick, sometimes team freight. And, you know, when I've got freight sitting on my dock that needs to be wherever it's going, um, whether it's just in time or not, and I can't get it moved and I can't get any trucks, my typical, you know, network of truckload trucks to show up and haul it, then I call on the expedite market, which costs me multiples more because I just got to get the freight to the destination. I break it into smaller shipments and move it on smaller cargo trucks. I see. So, so it's a de- definitely a different truck. It's not a full 53-foot van. No, it's a smaller truck. So you pay a lot more for it, um, but they got to get the freight there. Right. So you're, you're not likely to move it from Chicago to L.A. that way, but you may be from Chicago to St. Louis that way. <laughs> yeah. Or if you got a factory shutting down or if it's, a, you know, chips that somebody needs to, you know, who knows what it is. I mean, every shipper has a different reason for doing what they do. But at the end of the day, sometimes shipping is a small cost of the overall thing being sold. So if it costs me, you know, 5% instead of 3% and I can't sell it until I get it there, I'm going to pay whatever it costs to get it there. That's the market we were in last year, right? Yeah. When you see a market this strong, and I don't know if this actually shows up in your data, but maybe anecdotally, do you see a rise or a decline in team driving? I mean, I, it would just seem to me like the, the, the opportunities are so lucrative that if you can put together a team, wow. Yeah, that's a great point, John. We don't have a lot of team drivers. I'd say less than 5% of our client base is team drivers, and it didn't grow or shrink significantly. I do think there's opportunities for teams. More miles equals more money in a hot market, right? Um, but I can't say that we – it seemed like the people that were doing well last year cared more about trying to find a second truck and operate you know, more trucks rather than team up. Yeah, because that, uh, you know, if that asset is parked – uh, and they're sleeping in the back. Boy, the, the difference in creating value out of that, out of that, uh, that equipment, if it's moving, is boy, it's like night and day, isn't it? It really is, you know. And it's something that right now, with the market changing, that we're just thinking about. Our average driver ran eight percent less miles last year. They went below hundred thousand miles for the first time ever and ran ninety six thousand miles. You know, and so as things seem to be tightening in the freight market, and it gets to be a little bit more difficult of a market. You know, if every owner-operator drives another 5 or 10% miles, you know, you just added 3 billion miles of transportation. And, and like you say, I mean, gosh, if you team up, then you doubled your miles. But that's hard to do. So, yeah, it's, it's kind of amazing to think about all the ways that capacity grows and shrinks in this business. Hey, you talked about, we talked about the new authorities coming in and uh, you talked about the different kinds of people that or the different types of entries that might have gone into that number. Can you talk at all about the about some of the the people? Like, let's do it on a personal level that you encountered who were maybe getting their authority for the first time. Did you find that they kind of knew what they were doing? There's no nice way to say this, but um, did they uh, were they possibly going into this with not fully aware of what it takes to successfully run? You know, this is going to sound bad, and I don't want it to to be the wrong way, but. Any idiot could have bought a truck and run the spot market and made good money last year, right? You didn't have to know what you were doing. You just have to have a computer and, or even a phone and go to a load board and run your truck and you can make money. So I guess I'd say it was a mix. I feel like a lot of the folks that we talked to definitely had given it some thought. They understood the rates. They understood the opportunity. you know. And, and so moving to the 
spot market, getting their own authority was a conscious good decision for them. But there are also people that had driven a company truck for six months and, you know, had some excess cash because they got money from the government during COVID and they went out and put money down and bought a truck and got their own authority. And, you know, folks like that are going to struggle when the market turns. But it, but I really feel like the capacity we created over the last year um, is better capacity than we have in the past. I think it's going to sustain a downturn more than it has in the past. Why do you say that? That's, that's a very good point. Very interesting point, certainly. Well, I think for one, because we used to have a lot of kind of ridiculous, very low money down um, financing programs in the past that would put people in business in times like this, you know, for very little risk, you know, $500,000 down on as expensive as used trucks were, you know, we saw drivers putting down 20 to 50%. When you're buying a $100,000 truck that a couple of years ago was worth 50 grand, a bank's not dumb and they're not going to finance that truck, you know, overpriced knowing it's going to come down in the future. So people have a lot more skin in the game than they did in the past, which means they're going to fight when things get difficult. They're going to work harder. They're going to, you know, learn the business. They're going to be smarter, figure out how to save money on fuel because fuel size. So, I just think it's a more committed type of capacity than it has been in the past when we've gone through these boom cycles. Let's, let's talk about fuel. When, when We've noted here on Freightways that when you listen to the quarterly earnings calls of the public truckload companies, they almost never talked about fuel. It was so bizarre um, because they've got a pretty nice tool here in the fuel surcharge to push down those fuel costs down onto the shippers. And of course, if you then listen to the shippers' earnings calls, you know they would talk about fuel all the time. So clearly, that means that the fuel surcharge was being very successful. Is that going to continue going forward? I mean, these you're, you're, you've got independent owner operators. They are they don't have a fuel surcharge in most cases. They just have to make sure that they build ex- excuse me that they secure a rate that covers their costs, including fuel. How much is a higher price going to hurt the kind of people that you service? Um, you know, at the end of the day, fuel surcharge or not, it's a supply and demand um, capacity issue. So, yeah, those big truck lines and those big shippers, they have contracts in place that adjust with the fuel market. You know, thank God, right? Because in the last 40 days, we saw fuel go up a tremendous amount, that which would have bankrupt our industry. Um, when you've got one truck hauling loads in the spot market off of load boards, it's not as easy to implement that. So, Really what it boils down to is, is there too many trucks chasing too little freight? Then the brokers and the shippers are going to drive down rates, even though fuel costs are going up. And it, you know, just based on everything you've seen in red in the last four weeks, it kind of seems like that's what's going on. But at the end of the day, um, truckers can't haul freight at a loss. As, as extraordinary as the market was last year, you know, maybe it feels like a loss from making 100 grand to making 80 grand, but that's still pretty good money for a trucker. So, there's a lot of, I, I mean, really, gosh, what happens in a time like this, John, is everybody forgets how to manage their business. When revenue is great, including me, when revenue is great, you don't lose, you don't pay attention to your cost that much. You just focus on running the business, generate revenue, bottom line takes care of itself. So we're now in a time where I might have to slow down. I might have to idle less. I may have to run a few more miles um, to manage my business. So yeah, fuel hurts. But the thing you also got to think about is, those independent contractors, they can shift their business in an afternoon, a large fleet for them to get better fuel economy. And they slow down their trucks and slow down the governors. It takes them six months to get 10,000 trucks through the shop. So it's different ways of running a business, right? The big fleets can offset it with a fuel surcharge. The small independent contractor can offset it by managing their business. Um, 
So yeah, I don't think I don't see doomsday for independent contractors because fuels up. It's just going to mean they got to manage their business. You made a point in one of your Matt's presentations that I saw. Maybe it was you know in the one Matt's presentation you made that people shouldn't get too too focused on getting the, the absolute best rate. That what really matters is a continuous run rate. That um, so if, if if you can instead of reaching for the stars all the time, kind of be stable uh, as a way of doing business. Can you expand on that? Sure. You know, without going crazy in a podcast talking about fixed and variable costs, it really boils down to understanding your business. Because if I've already covered, you know, my truck payment, my insurance, those kinds of things for this week, all I really need to run is my fuel, my maintenance costs. So, you know, we got in the mindset of I'm not going to run anything under three bucks a mile for the last 18 months because I didn't have to. And now we're going to have to make some harder decisions. You know, do I take a couple of days off waiting for that $3 a mile load? Or should I actually haul a $2.50 per mile load? Because I still am going to cover my fixed costs. I'm going to put some money on the bottom line. It's complicated. You know, you have to understand your numbers. That's what we do all day at ATBS is help drivers be able to make those kind of decisions. Again, it's been easy for the last 18 months. I could say nothing under 3 bucks a mile and the market did that. Um, we're in a market where I'm going to have to actually make some good decisions and think about the business. Now, I know last year you did a webinar about, you know, September or so in the year you had half year data in hand. And you said, well, this is the kind of rate we're running at. And this is where the average is headed toward. And uh, I think it, the, the number in, you know, you, it kind of came in about where it came in, where you predicted it would come in. Uh, if you had to, based on what you've seen so far, if you sit down in September and did that webinar, <laughs> uh, what kind of forecast do you think you might give for 2022 or is it just too early? You know, the thing is we just had a shock to the system, right? When fuel spikes a buck 15 in two weeks, that's never happened before. I mean, the biggest two-week spike we've ever had before is 40 cents a gallon. And, and so fortunately, things are kind of leveling off. So... The hardest part for all of us right now is what does this mean to demand for the shipping demand, right? Is this going to put a slowdown, a big hurt on the economy with every American paying more for fuel with inflation going crazy? Are we going to, you know, put our checkbooks away and stop buying stuff? If that happens, then net income is going to go down. I mean, I'll predict it to go down below $70,000 by the time we hit September. Um, But that's a pretty severe case. That's the only thing that's fundamentally changed. There's no reason that trucking should not be good through the rest of this year if Americans continue to spend money. So my my gut and my bet is that things level off and fuel stays high, but that gets absorbed into the market. And I feel like drivers can still make seventy to $75,000 this year if they manage their business. It's not going to be as easy as last year. So, man, September may be a whole different picture, but... Um, you can't freak out, right? Four weeks of a crazy fuel cost, things leveled off. Um, let's see what that does in the market. Yeah, I was going to ask you what your biggest piece of advice is to, to drivers dealing with this. And, and I think you already gave it is that just keep running. Don't, don't, don't wait for, uh, for that absolute best load. Just make sure you keep a steady, consistent amount of miles uh, over the road and, and grab your money that way. Yeah, John, that's a big piece of it. But really, a time like now calls for a change of mindset. It's been all about revenue. What's the best paying revenue per mile? You know, cherry picking loads. I'm not going to go north when it's snowing. You know, all those kinds of things, which you can do in a great market to, okay, I need to look at the whole business. Where can I save money? How can I get a discounted fuel buying program? You know, there's programs out there that give an owner operator up to 50 cents off per gallon. 
Where can I save on fuel? How do I not go out of route? How do I optimize my purchasing? So think about the whole business. You know, we need to change that mindset today rather than it's all about revenue. That's my biggest piece of advice is think more, manage the business going forward and you'll be fine. You may have to work a little harder, um, save some money on costs. You'll be just fine. Yeah, so 2021 will be looked upon as the good old days, certainly <laughs> by a lot of drivers, I would imagine, right? Well, think back to 2019. We never thought we'd ever have another year like 2019 and how quickly, um, I'm sorry, 2018. We never thought we'd have another year like 2018 and then 2019 hit and it was like, oh my God, what happened? It was terrible. And then 2021, you know, was tons better than 2019. So yeah, it's a cyclical business. It goes up and down. We've had almost two years of great trucking. So we're due for a little bit of a downturn. We just got to manage through it. All right. Well, Todd, I'm looking forward to, first of all, I'm looking forward to having you on next year to talk about how 2022 did. And and if you do that half half year webinar that you did last year, I'm looking forward to that too. So anyway, Todd, thanks for joining us today on Drilling Deep. John, it's great to talk to you as always. And uh, drivers, thanks for what you're doing. God bless you. Be safe. So our guest today has been Todd Amen. He is the president of ATBS, which is a financial consultancy service and tax preparation service for independent owner operators. You have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the FreightCast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all of the leading podcast platforms. I've been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. 